I'm here today with Miles Rogers, who's the uh, business development manager for uh, cinema and content creation markets worldwide at Meyer Sound. I've known Miles for, I'd say, almost close to, well, as long as you've been at Meyer Sound, which is. That's right, yeah. Introduced through Steve Shirts. I'd love to get some background just on what it is that Meyer Sound does so well when it comes to cinema products. That's where I was really excited to talk with you. I think in 2016, uh, we did a little sit down with you and Steve Shirts and talked about the AMI speaker, which had just come out, which was something that had replaced the HD1. I wouldn't say that the AMI is a replacement for it's the not HD1. not a replacement, but you guys were phasing out the HD1, so you needed something to kind of... That's right. Well, as far as a near-field loudspeaker is concerned, that's the form factor of, of something like an HD1. Mm-hmm. That's where AMI fit in the market, you know, but it's the the approach and what we were... The tool that we were building with AMI had a very different focus, right? Right, right. I mean... Uh, geez, if you want to look back to the beginning of the HD1, I mean, the the HD1 was designed and developed to calibrate measurement microphones, right? Right, yeah. You know, and so here was a chance with uh, me and, uh, you know, Skywalker coming to us and saying, hey, we need this tool, um, help us develop it. And so with that seed that they planted, you know, John Meyer and the R&D team went to work mm. to basically say, hey, how can we make a powerful near-field loudspeaker that behaves in the same way that these larger systems behave across the facility? Because ultimately the goal is that you have to translate from one room to the next room to the next room, right? right Down the chain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody says it. <laughs> it's so overused. <laughs> and, you know, translation, blah, 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 right? But, you know, the point is, is that we really want to make sure that you can pick up in the next room where you left off. And, uh, and, and the AMI achieves that for us, right? So if you start in the editorial suite, AMI system, move up the line to an Ashron, and then all the way up to, you know, the larger screening theater, um, you know, you can keep moving down mm. the same path and you don't have to go back and redo things so much is the mission, right? You know, yeah, of course, yeah. we all know that the workflow is, is all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, full disclosure, right? You know, I, I've, I've been working with Meyer Sound. We're here in, in Marin County. Uh, Meyer Sound's based in Berkeley, California. In the East Bay, they've always been based in California. They are a California based company. They have a wonderful manufacturing line in Berkeley, hand assembled. It's a very unique approach to speaker manufacturing, which I think makes a huge difference in the final experience, the output. When I think about the history of Cinema Sound and Meyer Sound, there's like this incredible story of John Meyer and Francis Ford Coppola and just a handful of, like you mentioned, Skywalker Sound with George Lucas. But why, why do you think Meyer Sound has kind of had a unique approach to Cinema Sound when it comes to the speakers that they're making? It's a great question. And, you know, really it boils down to the fact that whenever John Meyer enters a market, he's looking to help that, that market evolve in a way and maybe offer uh, something that wasn't previously available, Hmm. you know, and, and basically when, uh, you know, films were started being released as digital cinema packages and you had linear PCM uncompressed soundtracks, (laughs) you know, this was John Meyer's opportunity to say, Hey, Let's offer a loudspeaker that can fully represent the the dynamic range and the SPL requirements of a cinematic soundtrack. And uh, 
you know, that's he with it, at that moment, he entered the market in a way that he's never entered the market. And we had a full lineup of loudspeakers, right? We were able to design the Ashron screen channels, uh, evolve our X800 to the X800C uh, LFE subwoofers, uh, and then also build out a complete line of surrounds so that we have just a complete package that really is all about the seamless integration of screen channels, subwoofers, and surrounds. I remember um, one of the first times the EXP line was rolling out, we went up to Syntopia up in... Portland. In Portland, yeah. yeah. Or Vancouver. Vancouver, yeah. And I had never seen a cinema... It was a big room, but it was using like almost a, a line array as your your LCR, as your, yeah, as for the LCR. And it was the most insane experience i've never i never felt sound in that way that i had when i remember it was thor was the movie and it was like <laughs> thor's hammer like the impact of it and <laughs> and the sub and how it was just the whole experience felt i was like oh the potential for cinema sound i think people don't think about how great it can be and how people think about crossovers and x curves and just kind of like the standards of what cinema has been and they don't think about the potential of dynamics and now obviously with with immersive formats like Dolby Atmos and whatnot, it's opening it up again to full range speakers. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, the, you know, from, from the format of the surround, uh, or, or the, the, the sound format right now, moving to immersive, um, it really provided a nice opportunity to look at how systems were designed and implemented. And you know, Dolby did a really cool thing where they said, hey, we need to pay attention to headroom performance and make sure that these loudspeakers can actually play the full dynamic range mm -hmm. of a cinematic soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and with that, you know, of course, that's our mission number one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's make sure that we're clean you know distortion free all the way through the dynamic range so that when it get, gets loud in a movie it's not harsh right yeah. i mean that's it's not fun to go to a movie and sit there and and see my wife holding her ears no of course you know? not yeah, yeah. <laughs> what i really hope to draw out of this conversation is a better understanding that pe for people that the investment in the approach that i think meyer takes um i think really shows up in the tracks like it, it, it helps accentuate the work that people are doing in a way that I, it's so funny because I remember uh, going back again when Atmos w was first rolled out for that premiere of Brave mm -hmm. at the Dolby uh, Theater down right after Kodak, mm -hmm. the name change had happened, Kodak to Dolby Theater, and they did the premiere for Brave. I remember seeing um, all the overhead speakers were the Meyer, if that's right, was the whole system Meyer or was it the overheads? What so all it? the surrounds in yeah. the Dolby Theater are Meyer sound. Yeah. Remind me about those speakers, because did those speakers exist already? Was there a different consideration of, of what you guys are doing? That's right. Well, so um, the complement of loudspeakers was some of them were what was left over from the Cirque show that had been, you know, a residence there in the Kodak Theater. Right. Yeah. Um, but where, where it was really interesting and where uh, Dolby's Andy Potvin had to get very creative <laughs> is yeah, that yeah. at that point in time, um, our surround loudspeakers were the HMS 10. That was mm -hmm. our main product. And that theater is humongous, right? You know, yeah. it's multi-balcony, just a really, really large room. And the solution of how Andy was able to use groups of HMS 10s, you know, he put four it's of like a them. a cluster. Yeah, four of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then they flew them uh, on, on scaffolding. Scaffolding, or, or right, not, yeah, or, yeah. 
uh, trust, on trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they flew them on trust over the audience area so that you know because they'd come in and out per event but mm -hmm. it's a really unique and easily well i shouldn't say easily but it's a deployable system yeah you know that the, the dolby guys can get in there and set that up so that if they want to run a premiere if they want to run the academy awards right they can have a full atmos system in there um to to support that event and mm -hmm. you know that's built around the the loudspeakers that were available at the time you know mm -hmm. of course where that's evolved is that you know this this year in august uh the motion picture uh academy museum will be opening and in those theaters those are all meyer sound mm -hmm. surrounds as well but they're able to use our new complement of loudspeakers and so you know they've got a bunch of hms 15s which are insane a 15 inch yeah. driver right yeah that's right you know and i mean it's basically a screen channel in an enclosure that looks like a surround what have you found in terms of people's because there's many small rooms there's mid-sized stages there's large mixing stages all across the i mean the world but especially when i get onto la and i walk into stages and i see people's setups what have you found is maybe from a small size to a mid-sized room for maybe an atmos setup what is the configuration what's the nine 11, whatever, sure. point, point one, two, whatever. What, what are you seeing people are doing? Sure. Well, this year, the last, gosh, the last three years or so have been really exciting, right? You know, because there are many, many, many rooms where there are near field 7151 setups. And a lot of people that have been creating and working on content in those rooms have seen the opportunity that's become available through the streamers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the streamers are saying, hey, our delivery format now needs to fall in line with a Atmos home entertainment or HE format, which would be a minimum of 714. And, you know, people will go down that path and say, oh, okay, great. I just need to add maybe four overheads to the right. system and I'm there. Um, but as they move along, they realize that actually their main loudspeakers or near field loudspeakers don't have the headroom requirements to make the format. And so okay. now they're faced with having to look at a complete system, right? You know, where do I go? What fits my budget? What fits my, the content that I'm going to be creating in here so I can do business and so many people have really found that that 714 format is a perfect way to be able to you know get into you know a huge opportunity right now you can get into the streaming content you can get into the atmos music content even right mm -hmm. you know and now that the gaming platforms are starting to embrace uh the atmos format you know it's just man sky's the limit if you're a creative uh, audio professional <laughs> <laughs> and you understand or have the space or are interested in working in immersive formats, there's opportunity like there's never been. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, for us, you know, we're, we look at that um, from a loudspeaker manufacturer perspective and we say, well, you know, how do we make sure that those systems, when they're implemented in the rooms, actually perform, right? You know, it's, if, if somebody sells you a loudspeaker, or if I sell you a loudspeaker and tell you it's going to do one thing, and then you get it home and it doesn't, that's mm -hmm. a problem, right? And so we've got this whole process that we work through at Meyer Sound where we want to make sure that the rooms are fully designed and they are implemented properly with, you know, the positions of the loudspeakers. And then we also want to make sure that they're calibrated uh, at the end of the day and they perform as expected, right? And so if we're not involved directly with the uh, calibration of that room, we know that we have somebody else that is aware and knows how to make sure that that system does what it's supposed to do. And ultimately, it comes down to 
you know, content creators, mixers, editors, all these folks having systems that perform like they've never had before, you know, and uh, it, it's an exciting place to be. If you're an audio professional and you find yourself falling in love with sound all over again, mm. you know, like, man, <laughs> that's I mean, that's what I found. I mean, I, I think uh, when the Ami came out, I was looking to replace my stereo setup. I mean, I'm doing, you know, video production, editorial podcast edit, editing mixing all in stereo uh but i did find that you know i had a subwoofer i had it was like a yamaha hs 10m like <laughs> you clearly knew your system very intimately <laughs> it was it, it, but my relationship to that sound was i know what it sounds like i know how it translates but i don't know at the time i didn't know what i was missing which what i was missing was a lot there were frequencies that I wasn't hearing. There were things that would kind of show up later down the road that I was, it was at that point it was a little too, it was too late to go back because I just felt the clarity that I thought I was getting wasn't the full picture. So I'd love for you to kind of describe what's the advantage of looking at where technology is today? Because the technology, I think of systems even, I don't know, five, 10 years ago. I mean, there's been incredible improvements even in that time with just digital processing. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, right off the bat, I have to say that when it comes to um, picking out loudspeakers, for the most part, you know, we've all been trained to go and listen to a bunch of loudspeakers and pick out a set based on what we like, right? And when it comes to subjective evaluation and and what your your personal preferences, there's no right or wrong, right? right. Like yeah. if you like the way something sounds right on <laughs> you know yeah, that yeah. that's why we all love this this world of, of sound right but then if your workflow is such that you have to work on audio content and that content needs to translate out of your room to somewhere else well now that that loudspeaker changes from being something that you can simply just like to it really needs to be a reference right you know and Unfortunately, we're in a world where if you Google reference monitors, yeah, it will just, you know, the results will just stack up because everybody is saying that they're a reference monitor. Ultimately, what it comes down to for us at Meyer Sound is to say, all right, let's do the work. Let's make sure that we are putting the technology and the development and the effort into these systems so that they perform as a reference monitor right in which is subjective evaluation aside it's you know we look at it from the science side of the line right mm -hmm. you know to say how does this system measure how does it perform is it doing exactly what we expected to do and then of course we'll bring in our you know our, our partners in the industry and say does this work as a tool for you right. <laughs> you know does it help you do your work better and if we get enough positive response back on those systems as we're designing them then they become products you know, and, and for us, you know, that's where Skywalker is infinitely valuable, right? It's like, so what was the previous system? They had Asheron's majority in their, in their pods and in their stages. Yeah. So we're talking about the small editorial suites for right, them, yeah. you know, and they had, gosh, they had a bunch of different systems. And that was really what, you know, Brian Long and Jim Austin came to us. They said, listen, you know, we've got Genelec systems. We got, uh, uh, uh blue sky systems. Right, oh, we've yeah, got, right, yeah. uh, you know, we, any number of system, uh, in these rooms and they're inconsistent from room to room. Um, but our, the rest of our facility is all Meyer sound equipment. Yeah. And we would really love it if where that content starts 
could be, you know, that loudspeaker system could be a Meyer system. Um, and so that just gave us the opportunity to go in and say, all right, what's that near field loudspeaker look like for, for editorial suite that's going to be, a, you know, an entry into that field. Um, and that's where the AMI came from. Mm. And of course, uh, you know, the rollout was such that we had the AMI loudspeaker uh, by itself, just brought that to market first. Yep. And then we introduced the AMI sub, uh, a single 15 as a complement, which, it, you know, just now turns the AMI into a system more or less. But the last piece and what we've finally brought to market this year is an integration card. And that's really cool because yeah. you, you know, you've got this card that can go into the subwoofer that will take care of your base management, right? You know, and this is an important fact is that in the AMI loudspeaker, each one of those loudspeakers goes down to you know, 47 hertz, so somewhere in that range, right? Which is similar to a screen channel in a in a dub stage in a larger room. Mm -hmm. But as we get into the near field, you know, most of us actually want more extension. We want that system to go even lower, and we're so used to base managed systems that you know, 40 just doesn't kind of it doesn't cut it. <laughs> I mean, these guys are going down to 22. Is That's that right? right. So when yeah. you have the AMI with the AMI sub and the integration card. You have a fully integrated system that goes from 19 kilohertz down to 22 hertz, mm -hmm. you know, and that, you know, that really has shown and proven to be a tool that a lot of people like, you know, it's, it's not only do they like the way the system behaves and works and, 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 and works in their workflow, but it's also then from an engineering standpoint becomes quickly deployable, right? You know, it's quickly and consistently deployable. So if you're an engineer taking care of a bunch of editors that aren't in town, yeah. you can fly into town, put up a bunch of these systems, they're consistent from room to room and you can get out and you know that it's gonna stay the same. And obviously like the 2.1 system, that, that's over XLR, but then when you get into the 7.1, that's a DB25. That's right. Yeah, the yeah. DB25 is, is really, you know, that's any Pro Tools rig will have a DB25 option off the back of your HDIO uh, yeah. or your matrix. and you know, ultimately we want to be able to just say, Hey, output of one system into the other, make it as simple as possible. But then you, you know, the 2.1 card. Now that's a whole other so cool. exciting yeah, thing. It's, it's, yeah. You know, I mean, where that side of things came from is that we actually had um, some friends that developed synthesizers and they were using mm -hmm. the AMI and AMI subsystem, um, you know, listening to their content. But then they had to uh, buy a Galaxy or some other loudspeaker management For device. multi-channel processing or... And to do the base management. Oh, for base management. Right? Oh, so the monitor control and base management was was left out. Um, so with the 2.1 integration card, now they can have two AMIs and a subwoofer, right? And they can have a fully integrated system so that they get that full range, right? Now the volume knob on your keyboard or your synthesizer output can be your monitor control if you like. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, then that led into um, this really interesting side world where we found that um, FOH mixers, right? They, many of them are working in these venues that are just huge, right? And you think about setting up a PA in an, in an arena and trying to hear what your system is doing, uh, you know, in a mm -hmm. close monitored way so you can make make strategic decisions about the voicing and, and the performance, right? Well, the workflow that some folks are exploring is bringing in near field monitors, right? So you've got your arena system and the system tech has set that whole thing up and you know it's working, but now you have a near field pair of loudspeakers that represent that PA so you can make your tweaks and you know that that experience is being shared with your audience.
They're easy to travel with. It's not like these things are. Oh God, yeah, they're much lighter. You know, they're, they're robust. Yeah, well, the HD they're, ones weren't meant for traveling, but you know. yeah, it's different story. Different story, different day. Just taking another dip back into this this module. I'm looking at the 2.1. So it has the two inputs. It has another input for the LFE, and then it has the loop outputs. What's the, what's the idea behind the loop outputs? So basically, um, we're running each AMI full range, mm-hmm. and where it drops off, that's where the subwoofer uh, base management picks up. Right. So you run each loudspeaker or rather output from your rig or your console into the input cards now you take your left and right output out to the ami satellites mm-hmm. and your lf signal is derived from the card now if you want if you're doing an foh thing and you want to have sub on oxes or something like that where you, know, you just want to be able to control the lfe channel independently of it being base mm-hmm. managed so to speak now you can take you know that separate input into the, the lfe input, yeah. input. Yeah, you know, and and now it really does become a mirror of what your main PA is doing if that's how you're set up. So w- when this module idea came up, I mean, that was direct. I mean, you came out with the AMIs, but then where where was the feedback or where was the idea drawn from? Well, it's fully integrated system, right? Yeah. You know, it's it, it, m- every system you look at that's on the market in this place, right, has some version of DSP implementation or monitor control yeah. or or some factor and you know the the reality of of our as we were talking about earlier is that we don't put monitor control into our loudspeakers right we really want to focus on what it is that we do best and that's we build loudspeakers and amplifiers and put those combinations together so so that it makes it easier for the end user ideally Um, but when it comes to these near field monitor setups if you've got amis and an ami sub you need to integrate that right and if is if we can do the goal was to make sure or to try and help with the thought process and the engineering process so that you could just plug in your system into the sub and into the satellites and you're ready to go. And I'm looking at the spec sheet here just on the AMI in terms of like what the linear peak SPL is. Yeah. It's insane. Dude. <laughs> these are not these are not quiet. I mean, this is, um, you know, using, uh, you know, it's showing with M noise 120.5 dB. That's right. Yeah, no, it's the AMI is a is a loudspeaker that performs, but really the important point is headroom, right? Yeah. You know, if you're again, and I, I'm sorry to <laughs> be a broken record, but yeah, sure. you know, if you're working in a cinematic format, the dynamic range is is just absolutely insane, and you have to have that precision and detail in the quiet stuff and in the loud stuff. Mm. Uh, and that's where you know we kind of we defined the dynamic range and the maximum SPL of the AMI around requirements for cinema. Mm. Um, but what we find is that you know 120 turns out to be quite loud. <laughs> it's it's you're never gonna. I mean, you have it. You never should ever need to go that loud. I mean, like using AMIs for that. I mean, that's like you you got you you would not want those as near fields when they're blowing 120 between. I mean. In your quiet studio. In your quiet studio. But if you're at yeah. FOH in a, in yeah, a concert exactly. venue, now you might need that. You have to get over the initial kind of, yeah. That's right. You know, system, be, yeah. you, you'll have the AMIs time-aligned with your main system so that, you know, it just yep. has that perfect integration with your, your main PA. And you yeah. might you might need to hit it that hard. Right? I, I saw that when, uh, when Jay Balvin was down at the San Jose. Live music is insane when it comes to SPL, right? You yeah. Know, it's, uh, that's, that's the, the game is is to feel it's immersive right i mean let's be honest that's why we go to concerts is that you know it's a full body experience when when you hear the music and you feel the music it's exciting so the the sub is it was announced i think 
mid last year was it the ami sub yeah uh no it's been out a little bit longer than that okay. um i don't actually remember the exact date it was, that yeah. we announced it but i think it's now been out in the market two years um and of course what we immediately got into with the ami sub is that yes it was a perfect complement for the ami loudspeaker but it also has a u-bracket option which mm-hmm. allowed us to design that sub into uh, and used for base management of surrounds in atmos systems atmos oh, wow. theatrical systems and wow. so you know you might go into a meyer sound system somewhere around the world and see an ami sub flown up in the the ceiling base managing all the surrounds one other side note was kind of this recent project that came out of uh, the apocalypse now final cut that francis did where once again he went back to his friend john meyer and said how do we go down to the infrasonic ultra low frequency <laughs> we look at the specs on an ami sub we look at the specs of an ami we look at the specs of any of the speakers that are being used at hms's how, how did that even come about and like what how would you describe because i i haven't felt it i haven't experienced it but I've definitely been with a lot of people who have, and I'd love to find out just, yeah, your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, that project is a, is a really interesting one. Um, you know, often, well, the way Meyer Sound works is that it's le- we don't always develop products that have a predefined market. You know, sometimes we're working on a product on a special project, right? And, and in this case, um, we had someone come to us that needed to shake satellites, they said, hey, we're, we're shooting these things in outer space. We want to make sure that they can hold up during launch. Um, how should we test these? And, and well, sound is a great way to do that. And if you have a subwoofer that can go down to 12 hertz at power and you set up many of those things, you can, you can test these vehicles. Um, so that project was in place. And from that was born what we now call the VLFC, our very low frequency control uh, loudspeaker. And, you know, John has always been interested to say, hey, you know, how do we open up the low frequency effect channel of Mm. cinema to really represent those frequencies that, you know, cause the human body to release adrenaline and and feel the emotion that the sound designers and the directors, right, are, are really trying to convey to their audiences. And, you know, John was involved in apocalypse now uh the the first time around right you know, yeah. with developing subwoofers for that initial release i guess that was the 650 sub that's right yeah. that's right um and and basically when when francis came back last year and the sound team was saying hey we're gonna do an atmos mix on this we're gonna go back to some some of the original mags or second generation mag and redigitize at, yeah. at higher sample rates we're just going to go through and do a whole clean pass on this thing. That was an opportunity to say, hey, do you want to explore the use of these subwoofers during uh, the pre-mix to mm. see if it actually allows you to get that low frequency extension that we've been trying to get forever? Um, and and they jump, you know, Pete jumped right on it. Yeah, Pete Horner, who's a Skywalker sound re-recording engineer, has had a long history with Francis and Walter Murch. And the history of Apocalypse Now and the different iterations that it's had is it's, I actually had a really good chat on one of the other podcasts with Pete Horner just because I, I really wanted to understand what they went through and, you know, just the restoration process to 
try to regain some of that low and you know they're accentuating some stuff they're recreating some stuff but they're trying to honor like the initial intent but francis's initial intent was to do what he was able to do 40 years later yeah with, with this finally yeah well and that was the question right yeah you know if we implement your the system up uh, up in napa yeah. with your standard lfe channels and then augment that with the vlfc's so that now it picks it up and it doesn't just go down to 20 hertz it'll go down to 12 hertz does that provide you with a, you know a, a more or a wider emotional creative palette uh, for the sound design of mm. this and th we put them in we implemented them let them work for a little while and gosh it was like the first week they're running with them i got a call and everybody was just super excited you know it really was allowing them to dig into that low frequency or the low frequency effect channel in a way that they had never been able to hear and feel for that premiere it was at the beacon theater and it had a full Myers system just looking at the specs it said but um the lcr it had 10 each the leopard <laughs> line array loudspeakers the surround yeah. system was the upa 1p the upj 1p and m1d loudspeakers so it's pulling from like a lot of different speakers from the meyer family but like you can kind of see like i think when you have a technology that's shared across a bunch of different products you can mix and match and build systems which I, which i've seen in different rooms going back to like what i've experienced people mix and match you don't need there's not just one approach to how you build a cinema system, even if it's your home studio. Yeah, well, you know, again, that's and you make a really good point, which is, yes, we have a cinema line of loudspeakers, but really you wanna pick out the right loudspeaker or the right tool for the job, <laughs> you know? And if you've got a room like the Beacon Theater that is, you know, multi-level balcony, um, just a, a huge room where you have to set up a cinematic performance, there are tools in our, or loudspeakers in our catalog that work better for that than maybe some of our standard cinema line. And that's why we go went with the Leopard line arrays, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, Leopard shares technology, which is really cool, actually. The, the Leopard loudspeaker shares technology with the Bluehorn system, right. which the Bluehorn system, of course, being kind of our evolution and premier version of the cinematic systems, right? Which is more into a music introduction. But mm -hmm. there's shared technology there, right? And it... it these systems allow us to give an experience to a huge room yeah. <laughs> like maybe you haven't had before. And, and again, to the LFE channel, um, the Beacon Theater was a really interesting space. Uh, and, and something that I actually learned on that particular gig is that with the, the VLFC, a part of the power, and this is, you know, it seems pretty obvious and clear, but the power of low frequency energy is not just what you hear but it's in what you feel. Mm -hmm. And when you've got low frequency um, that's coherent with what you're hearing and what you're feeling, it really allows the body to have an experience of like, wow, I'm in this. And I'm, you know, I mean, in the case of apocalypse now, yep. I'm terrified. Yeah, you're terrified. <laughs> well, I mean, like the B-52 is dropping napalm. Dude. <laughs> like visually, it's incredible. But when you feel it, the shake, the rumble of it, it's a different experience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's an emotional, disturbing thing to be yeah. dropping bombs. Like, yeah. that's I mean, <laughs> and the thing is, like, not OK, obviously not everyone is going to have the Beacon Theater as to play back on. But the reality is, I feel like even in the small, smaller rooms, I've found that you can still have a solution that will translate to the bigger stage and obviously you're gonna you know augment it and tweak it and adjust as you go but the reality is is that like what you do in a smaller room should translate pretty closely to a larger room you know because of 
this kind of shared technology across all the products. And then this is something that's been, I mean, Myerson has done that for a long, long time, but now that we're in the digital realm, there's even better control of power and signal processing. That's right. Yeah. I mean, every every year we are develop every minute it seems like the yeah. R&D group is developing new technologies and you know it's it's just I'm so excited for what's happening and what's in our catalog right now but also what's just over the horizon. I mm-hmm. mean it really is an exciting time right now in in the you know loudspeaker technology and what can be done clean what can be done right you know how you can process signals in whole new ways that actually adds to the experience you know it doesn't take away from it and it's a it's a really exciting time to be paying attention to loudspeaker technology i think that was a big reason why i wanted to do this update because it was only you know a few years ago that we spoke when the ami came out and there's been a lot of a lot of great growth already the funniest thing is a speaker that was in this kind of research phase the blue horn system it was called blue horn because it literally has a blue horn on the top <laughs> but it was never it was you know it's always like well what do we call it, it has blue horn you know at some point we're gonna come up with another name for it it never did it's the blue horn and it's fine and it's great <laughs> but the cool thing about the blue horn which you know for someone like me i i, I hear and see a lot of different systems i i have a chance to kind of experience what people are doing, but the blue horn was something that I never experienced before, which I think when we went into Bear's lab, the kind of the studio setup at, at Myers headquarters in Berkeley, there's something going on there, which is uniquely different. Like, how do you describe why did blue horn happen? And what was it trying to answer? Like, what was the solution? Cool. Well, yeah, so that project and I have to say that so so in our catalog we've we've had um, the X10, mm-hmm. which is our critical uh, listening monitor, and that that product um, was really an introduction into the music market, saying, "Hey, you know, let's 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 hear everything that's in this content that you're working on." Um, and as it was starting to go legacy, right, we were looking at phasing it out. Um, the question was, well, what, what is our next critical monitoring uh, loudspeaker? You know, what fits the bill here? And we had a handful of people that were actually using the Asheron designers with the X400 oh, right. as uh, music systems, as, as 2.1 music systems for mixing. Um, and that kind of spawned the idea of saying, well, hey, wait, what if we take an Asheron designer and stack that on top of an X400, right? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's yeah. where, you know, guys like John Arneson and the R&D group came in and they actually created filters so that those two cabinets just seamlessly integrated together and it became a three-way full-range system um, using those two loudspeakers. And, you know, from that point, we all said, wait a minute, there's something here. This thing sounds amazing. And that's when the R&D group said, well, we've got these other technologies that we're developing. Um, maybe we should consider, you know, bringing these into the system. And we effectively took six years of, of adding little bits and pieces, you know, little things that on their own made very small incremental improvements. Mm-hmm. But the sum total of all those pieces is just amazing. And then the icing on the cake, which is, you know, still just an interesting experiment and, and was a question at first, is that we took this system and then not only was it a, a full range system that was now going from 19 kilohertz down to 20 hertz, but then we phase corrected the entire operating range. Mm-hmm. The entire operating range, right? So it wasn't just the smiley face at the top of the range. It's now phase flat from 22 kilohertz down to 24 hertz. And 
the question was, does that matter? Doesn't matter, right? You know, is that going to make this tool any better use? And as we kept bringing people into the studio and listening to the system, the feedback that we got was just ridiculous. I mean, it was it was so positive and there was so much excitement around this technology that it became clear we had to turn it into a product. I mean, there's a patent that came along with it too. I'm just looking to hear about the history of it. I mean, it was something that they weren't, they weren't thinking about it. Well, and you'd, you'd see different groups poking at it here and there, right? I mean, phase correction of loudspeakers is certainly not unique in any way, right? There's a lot of people that have, have gone down that path, but you know, it's, you have to have a solid foundation for everything that you do. And and what we've found with, you know, building up the Bluehorn system is that we had this the most solid foundation imaginable to to now implement this full range phase correction. Um, and it just it opened up this whole world that turned out to be, you know, we were able to do a patent or, or and it's uh you know to to say hey, here's a new technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, now the chore or the task became getting it into the hands of folks outside of Meyer Sound. It was great that we brought people in, right? But we had to get that tool into people's workflow so that they could work with it. And that's where you know guys like Sean Murphy and John Powell have been you know just insanely instrumental in creating opportunity for us. And mm-hmm. you know the the Sean Murphy relationship, actually Sean Murphy and John Powell relationship that got the system onto the Fox scoring stage for Ferdinand, right? The, was it? Yeah, the, 2017, yeah. That's right. That opened the door for Fox and, the, and Armin Steiner. And at that point, uh, Dennis St. Amand said, hey, we need to replace our main monitor system. And this Bluehorn system fits the bill. We're really, really interested. And so we did a handful of demos for them and you know, let them just hold on to the system for a little while and, and get their ears and their clientele, yeah. uh, you know, just thinking about going down that path and they purchased a system and that was actually installed last year in the Fox on the Fox scoring stage. And so now that stage actually has um, an LCR installed of Bluehorn. Mm-hmm. They've got a cardioid configuration of uh, subwoofers for LFE, which that's another topic. How many? That's pretty cool. How many are they running? Um, they've uh, for the LFE subs. They've got um, four X400s. Okay, and they're set up so that we're actually able to basically attenuate the low frequency uh, behind the subs into the stage oh, wow. and focus on the listening area. And that does two things. It actually, when we were in the calibration mode we found that it actually um, reduced cancellation and interaction in the room, which mm. was really nice. So like to see a boundary uh, somewhat disappear, that wasn't expected, but was an amazing result. But then the other part is that as we were measuring the SPL of the low frequency on the stage, we were able to attenuate that sound or the low frequency energy so that now if somebody's mixing something that's got a lot of synth to it or it's got some low, you know, real low frequency energy, they can do that in the control room and know that they're not completely destroying what they're recording uh, on the stage. And uh, I think something now that we're seeing is like the translation. So John Powell, I think when he was working on Solo, he then brought in his, in his Cat5 studio. That's right. So so let's see. Um, John Powell had a system. So after Sean Murphy used the system at Sony for, um, uh, 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 for the BFG, mm-hmm. then that system went up to John Powell's place. They mixed um, the, the, the uh, Jason Bourne. Oh, geez, okay. And then John wouldn't give us that system back. Yeah. Right? So there's that whole story there. Um, 
And then, you know, he basically said, this is being integrated in my system. Um, and actually, the most recent thing that's interesting is John Powell ha- has has grown that system so that now he's got a 712 mm. full, you know, so it's it's um, Bluehorn System LCR. It's got X400 subs wow. and it's got HMS5 surrounds mm-hmm. in a 712 format so that they can actually mix and deliver at most beds to the dub stage mm. which is really cool right i mean if, if you know again it's like if you put out products that actually do what they're supposed to do it kind of it, it, it makes the, you know musicians it makes these composers it's not really, getting in between the artists and the engineers and the whole signal flow of what needs to happen to get it from point a to b that's right yeah well you know and ultimately they were delivering content that really was just amazing you know i mean uh, the solo thing was interesting also and sorry just to come back to the solo and that they recorded uh the orchestra for that at abbey road and so sean murphy had us bring a bluehorn system to set up at abbey road so that he could mix that content there and then just quickly bring it down to LA and add in the choir that they recorded uh, and all the synth elements for a really fast turnaround and delivery. Mm-hmm. And you know, the question there was, could they quickly pick up where they left off in London? And the answer was yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and ultimately that's what we're trying to say is, are these tools? Um, do they translate from one room to the next? Because yeah. I don't, I don't design rooms. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, every room is yeah, can be so uniquely different. Yeah. That's right. And so we, you know, if we have systems that you can set up around the world and uh, in different rooms and have a consistency that's to a, them, the constant. Yeah. That, that's a nice thing. So um, something else that just came out was uh, Brian Tyler, another composer, kind of same situation. What was the evolution for him? I mean, I think it's interesting because like we've been talking about sound design, sound designers, ed- editors sound effects we're, not, we're talking about music which is that's right they, they have different considerations so what what, what came about then with uh, brian tyler so brian tyler approached us um he was using x400 subs in his studio um and his, his previous setup and he was asking us hey what do you have in your catalog um that can you know bring my studio up uh, a mm-hmm. notch um, and where it started off with a, a subwoofer conversation, it actually ended where he um, purchased a stereo bluehorn system. And that was really interesting because Brian Tyler is an amazing film composer, right? I mean, he's got some really just amazing rhythmic thoughts about yeah, the way drummer, he, yeah, absolutely. The, he approaches yeah. everything. Um, but when, I, when we went up to his studio, what we heard in the content that he played for us was some EDM stuff that he was working on where he's doing some amazing visual stuff and mm-hmm. you know, just, just some really interesting, compelling content. And um, so he, he basically had us set up a Bluehorn system for him to check out and it was instant. I mean, it was literally instantaneous that he was like, oh my gosh, the, the imaging that I'm hearing with this system I have never had access to. And the fact that he could have that same imaging at high SPL, mm-hmm. man, that, that was a whole other thing, right? Because you know he was really just digging into it and playing at high, high SPLs in this room, but he also would need to back off and ha- have that same quality, right? When he was listening just in the near field, more or less. And that's really what this, the Bluehorn system has allowed us to have the performance and functionality of a near field loudspeaker, right? You know, a lot of people will use their near fields when they really have to be detailed and intimate with their content. But then when they want to turn it up and really feel it and and rock, they'll switch over to the mains and they lose something in that translation. Well, we're now entering a time 
where you don't have to lose any of that. You can work intimately in the near field with your loudspeaker. I mean, even if it's set up in the midfield, far field, you still have that near field performance. And then if you want to let it rip and dig mm. in, the Bluehorn system can handle it. I mean, I, I didn't look at the specs of the Bluehorn, but just from what I heard in Bear's lab, they're, <laughs> they're, it's really exciting. I mean, it's just like, just when you think you've heard everything, you haven't been impressed, you're not excited as you maybe had been previously. I mean, once again, I just want to reiterate why I wanted to have this conversation because I feel like there's a certain amount of exposure and yeah, just exposure that people have that they usually will, you know, only know their own systems or maybe their friends' systems, and that's kind of it. They kind of just close off their walls to other other opportunities to kind of see what's what's happening. And and I think there's been so much that's happened in the past few years here that it's I think it's worth kind of sharing with people just because I've I, myself as you know full disclosure I've been a Meyer user for as long you know as I as I can remember, and I, I just there's a reason why I chose this solution over others, and it's things that are subtle, but they're subtle in a way that matter and they show up in the work. And I think it's, if we can make that small adjustment or make that small change, it just, it matters. Like it, it, it matters in ways that I think maybe the initial investment, people are wondering, oh, I don't really, I have a system that works. Why would, would I ever, you know, replace this system? I don't think technology has gone that better, but in fact, there are, made, there are, there are things that have, have, have happened. So yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Thank you so much for that feedback because yeah. you know hearing it from you is awesome and knowing that you know it's it's you and so many other people that are doing really cool work out there yeah. that are using these systems to to help them in their workflow and to be creative and you know to, to just to push their art their their thing there's, there's yeah. nothing more exciting i remember when, when when we did meet with john powell um it was just cool to see someone like someone who's been who's a vet, veteran in the industry just to be excited once again, just about something, about his music, about the process, uh, even the guys who are in some of the smaller rooms. It's just like when they get excited and they turn up the track, they turn up you know, the channels and you experience sound, it just like it reinvigorates the process uh, of just why we all do this, why we love sound, why we love creating sound art. So if you're in Berkeley, you know, give Miles a call and, oh, yeah. and come through and you're, you know, it's, it's it's following it from the smaller footprint to the middle to larger size footprints. I don't think there's any such thing as having too much. It's always better to have a little more, as we say, headroom to, as an option. So I, I don't think you can ever have too much, but you can always not have enough. And then I think... It's a disappointment when you have an under-designed system. Exactly. Right? Because then yeah. you're missing something. Right. That said, well, the yeah. goal is never to over-design no, the no, system. Or over-design, yeah, sure, sure. I'm not, <laughs> And I'm, this is not a plug to go buy more. <laughs> I'm just saying there's, you know, when you look at, when you look at an army that says it can go up to, you know, 120, it's like, that's great to know if, if it was capped at something way lower than that, then it's like, well, that's the limitations of my experience. Yeah. Well, and again, that's why we have a design services group is that, you know, when, when folks come to us and say, this is my room, this is what I'm doing. We have an opportunity to look at what loudspeaker actually is the right loudspeaker yeah. and design for that. Yeah. If you have a system or even if you, you know, you have a pair of headphones that you love that, you know, that's, I think you can have your whole career, you know, using the same gear and the same process and, and, you know, continue to do excellent work. I just think as sound artists and engineers, technicians, whatever it may be, I think if we don't expose ourselves to where technology is going, we're always going to live kind of in the past. Immersive audio is the future. 
and which means that we're going to have bigger, bolder, more immersive experiences. Well, in the past is hopefully predictable, right? Yeah, I mean, sure, hopefully yeah. we're using tools that we know really well. We know what we get and we have spent the time in to know how that content that we work or create on it translates out, yeah. right? But then there's the whole other side of anybody in the audio world. It's not just about the work we do. It's the, the yeah. passion that goes into yeah. it, you know, and, and to that extent, whether it's Meyer Sound or anything else, you know, yeah. paying attention to what's happening in the world right now and getting the opportunity to hear some of these new technologies, I encourage it. I, yeah. You know, I, I, whether you come to Meyer Sound and hang out with me and listen to the Blue Horn <laughs> system or find me at a trade show or whatever, right? But, you know, just listening, right? And, and, and reminding ourselves why we love sound, why we love music, why this, this is important. I mean, obviously you can go to myersound.com that's a big resource you can reach out to miles i'm so close to giving out his email address i don't know should i just give your email address out is it is it a secret is it gonna is it gonna ruin your inbox it's it's not a secret i mean it's pretty obvious but um you're welcome to give it out i <laughs> i'm not gonna give it out it's fine i reserve the right to have delayed responses <laughs> i'm gonna ruin your inbox like yeah. i'm not gonna give out your email address but i will say go to myersound.com and if you're obviously in Berkeley, California, look look up and reach out to Meyer Sound so you can hear these systems. Or if you're, you know, there's plenty of stages and people who have been, uh, I, I've seen folks from like Will, um, Will Files to Richard King. I mean, Universal, Fox. Uh, there's a lot of stages. Uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, or, Marty you know, up at the dub stage. Marty Humphreys, right? Yeah. There's plenty of opportunity. I, I'm just saying seek out some opportunities to like let people to show some other systems. There's plenty of great options out there. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm a big supporter of just like never kind of settling for what's right in front of you. So thank you, Miles, so much for this cool little conversation about uh, a very <laughs> unique kind of corner of the world where I, I think, you know, loudspeaker technology has really progressed. So thanks so much for sharing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.